Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this week's What's Next podcast with Michael Gelb. He is a luminary in the field of personal development and organizational development, as well as executive coaching. He is a pioneer of creative thinking. He's written 16 books on creativity and innovation, including the international bestseller, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. Another one of his books, Innovate Like Edison, was actually co-authored with the great-grandniece of Thomas Edison himself. And one of my favorites, The Art of Connection. In each of these books, he guides us to cultivate the skills we all need to deepen our relationships, broaden our humanity, and transform our lives. No small feat. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Yes. And uh, I, as everybody knows, I love to start my podcast off with what I call bullish and bearish. Nothing too painful. Quick questions. Bullish is if you are for it. Bearish is if you're against it. And uh, like always, I always ask for the one word, but you guys are so smart. You might want to <laughs> dig into one of those answers, but we'll try and hold it. So are you ready? Ready. All right. The first one, bullish or bearish. The more confused you are, the more creative you become. Bullish. Ah, that was a softball. I totally gave that one to you. All right. All right. The next one, having definitive answers and searching for definitive answers actually holds back innovation. Bullish. All right. And the last one, it's a little fun. Those first two were sort of, you know, leading the horse to water. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the last one is a little more fun. The last one is, do you think robots will ever become professional jugglers? <laughs> Bullish. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's just start with the fun one because people are going like, where did that come from? So maybe you can share with our listeners your juggling, famous juggling history. Well, yes, I, I worked my way through graduate school as a professional juggler. And I juggled with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. I juggled with Bob Dylan as part of tours they did. And I'm probably the world's highest paid juggler <laughs> because I wrote a book years ago called Lessons from the Art of Juggling. And then I wrote another one called More Balls Than Hands, which is the technical definition of juggling. And I've, over the years, taught groups of, in one case, a thousand IBM engineers how to juggle. And I use it as a metaphor for the process of keeping a number of things up in the air, not getting too upset when you drop a ball, make a mistake. I have people juggle in partners and teams so that they pick the balls up for one another so they can model teamwork. They have a fabulous, fun time. And we also take the task and we break it down. So we have them start with just one ball. So everybody gets a success experience and success builds confidence and confidence builds more success. And the ironic thing about it is that what confidence really is, is the embrace of mistakes and failure because you know you can learn from them and keep the balls back up in the air. 
Well, I think that's great, you know, and, I, and I'd say what I love most about that is I am a visual listen learner, not a read learner. It's just sort of the way that I learn. And so when someone gives me an exercise like that, where it's fun and engaging and memorable, I feel like my learning, my willingness to learn, number one, because I'm more engaged, but my, the sort of the end result is I always remember the experience and the lesson that I learned versus if you were sort of standing on stage talking about how to build better teams and how to embrace, you know, failure and how to multitask, I'd be like, is the paint done drying? Right. But <laughs> that kind of uh, engagement. And, and I'd say that it's probably w really well received. People love it. And, and here's the thing. I love to have fun and I learn in a similar way to you. I like to have experiences and then abstract lessons from them and share them with others uh, uh, so that, uh, yes, it comes to life. So yeah, people, people, people love it. And you know, when I started out doing this, it was 40 years ago. So I'd go into these corporate environments where everybody was wearing a jacket and tie and was pretty stiff and serious. And I, I, pull out the juggling balls, get them to toss them in the air as they take off the, the, their ties, they'd start laughing. And it brings out that childlike, playful aspect, which is our birthright of genius. Yeah. And, and what's, what's the message also for me here is, you know, for those of you listening, where if you're running a team or you're a leader or you're a manager to keep this in mind, right? Some crazy hobby you have that there's a story to tie it back. And another a friend of mine I've had on the show, Josh, Josh Linkner, he's a jazz mu musician. And so when I've seen him give keynotes, he'll like go and find a, a local jazz musician that either plays like a horn or a saxophone and he plays guitar and he's never met them and he invites them to come, you know, he pays them, invites them to come for a one hour quote unquote gig. And it's not really, it's about eight minutes on stage, but it's about how he starts to play. And then the other guy or girl is listening and starts riffing and how they riff together and how it's a little off and then it gets better and better and better. And, you know, 45 seconds or a minute in, they're just jamming and neither one had ever met before, you know, and how music can bring people together and then everyone's having fun. And so everyone remembers that. So I think it's a great way to use, uh, you know, some skill that you may have to, to tell a story that relates back to what we do every day. Amen. Yeah. I love, I love that the whole jazz metaphor and getting people exposed to it because you can, you hear the difference, you experience it. And I love what you just described when, you know, they're not quite in sync and you're not quite there. And then all of a sudden there's that magical moment. And the same thing actually happens in juggling because we do partner juggling and you're tossing the balls back and forth to each other. And at first you're focusing on catching the ball yourself. So you don't attend as much to, what your partner needs, but then you realize the secret is, oh, focus on tossing the ball to my partner. And if my partner focuses on tossing the ball to me and we both make accurate tosses and then we get into a rhythm, all of a sudden it's just like that same jazz moment when it clicks and it's seamless. Well, you know, that that's fantastic. I love that story. I didn't know where the juggler story was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. All right. So, so let's move on to the more serious stuff, I guess. You know, one of the, there's kind of a couple reasons I really wanted to have you on the show. And, and one is this, how to think like Leonardo da Vinci. I'm, I'm fascinated when, you know, someone like you, right, really digs into what can you learn from someone that so many of us in the world are familiar with. They're from an artistic standpoint, but 
what sort of inspired you to go down that path and and you know find ways to tie this back to obviously what you do for a living, which is really you know helping companies and leaders and individuals perform better. Yes, well, my grandmother, I had an Italian grandmother, Grandma Rosa, and she happened to be a painter. And when I was about six or seven years old, she told me about Leonardo da Vinci. And he became one of my childhood heroes, along with Superman. (laughs) And I remember when I realized Superman was just a comic book character, but Leonardo was real. So as my career evolved and I'm teaching creative thinking and innovation to senior leaders around the world, I'm telling them stories about Leonardo. And at a certain point, I just thought, this is this is the ultimate archetype, the ultimate metaphor, the supreme inspiration. He's the, they call him the Uomo Universale. That's the universal human, the person who represents our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our aspirations, the, the supreme Renaissance icon. So it just occurred to me, what? What are his teachings to us? Did he leave guidance in his notebooks to his students that I might be able to translate more specifically into practical advice that would be relevant to people now for their professional and personal development? So I read his notebooks over and over again. I went to the place where he was born I went to the place where he died. I literally walked in his footsteps. I traveled the world to contemplate his works of art. I interviewed the great da Vinci scholars, and I really did start dreaming about him. And from those dreams, these seven principles for thinking like Leonardo da Vinci emerged, and I gave a talk about it to a business group. They loved it. And I thought, hey, maybe I should turn this into a book, which was one of the best moves I ever made. <laughs> Outside of your juggling career, two things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, so why don't you sort of share the the set those seven principles and, and, and maybe a little backstory on how each of them came to light through, through the art? Sure. So the first principle, curiosita. Leonardo da Vinci was probably the most curious person who ever lived. And when you read his notebooks, he records these questions. He has the kind of curiosity of a child, except with the perspicacity and the diligence and the focus of a genius grown-up. So it just is our birthright. We Children are curious. They're asking questions all the time with amazing passion and also with incredible energy and wild imagination. But then they go to school and they start to put a cap on their imagination. And they're told that answers are more important than asking questions. And in the old days of the workplace, when things were a little more bureaucratic and things weren't changing so quickly, you know, you could count on stability. We needed you to just execute pretty much the same thing for a long period of time. And so curiosity wasn't necessarily valued as much as it is today. Now, we need people who can be agile, who can learn and change and grow, who can learn, who learn how to learn. And that all begins with a renaissance of this birthright. So Leonardo is a supreme role model for that. And of course, 
I back that up in the book with lots of very practical exercises that people can do to experience that renaissance. All right. So curiosity, which, you know, I've had a number of people on that just absolutely, you know, live by that mantra, right? It's like asking questions and maintaining this level of curiosity. So that's fantastic. All right. So what's the second one? Okay. And what the great thing too, is that when you, when you have that curiosity and you feel free to then start to explore your imagination, you get more energy. (laughs) So it's how to have more energy as you get older. It's to be more curious and be more imaginative. At the same time, we move on to the second principle, demonstrazione, demonstrate things in your own experience. So Leonardo also said, be an inventore, an original thinker. And the challenge to original independent thinking at Leonardo's time, besides the strictures of the church, was just that information was hard to get. Now we live at a time, of course, where there's an overload of information. So how do we cut through the tsunami of spam to be genuine independent thinkers in the world today? Well, Leonardo, again, gives us practical advice. He says, learn to think critically, question your beliefs, look at important issues from multiple perspectives. So with the senior leaders that I coach, helping them get away from being surrounded by yes men and yes women. That's part of that's part of why they need to pay for a coach. They need to pay somebody to to not just feed them back their own positive publicity statement. Right. right. <laughs> well, and I think that that's always the most difficult, right? I think that that even comes down to when you're running a team, like your team needs to be able to feel that they can come and give you real feedback without the risk of feeling like, well, that's a career limiting move if I walk up and, and give feedback, right? So yeah. sometimes that outside you know, voice, and, and I, I say this all the time, look, I can walk in and say, the sky is blue. And you've been telling your boss or whomever, right, that the sky has been blue for six months and they didn't hear you. And then I say the sky is blue as a quote unquote outsider and they go, oh my God, sky is blue right so uh, there is a little value on that third that third party voice if you will very very uh, critical which leads us to the third principle sensazione which is to sharpen all your senses and this has obvious business implications you want your team to be sharp perspicacious present mindful paying attention the opposite is dull and more than just that obvious notion, sensazione is also the secret of enjoying our lives. It's the ability to appreciate beauty. One of the questions I have my clients meditate on, and I guide them to find practical answers, how can I make my life more beautiful? How can I make life more beautiful for others? And When we make life more beautiful, we're more joyful. We discover happiness and fulfillment. We tend to be more creative. We tend to be more generous. People like to be around us. We we cultivate a much more enlivening quality of energy. So for Leonardo, beauty and creativity go together. But it's even more profound than that. I was blessed when I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, 
to be friends with Murray Gelman, the Nobel laureate in physics, who discovered quarks. And Murray once told me at one of the dinners that uh, we used to have regular dinners at my home there, great uh, wine uh, salons with various creative minds. Murray was always the centerpiece. And we were looking at what's, what are the real keys to, to being creative? And Murray stated, well, it's quite interesting that in theoretical physics, a theory that is more beautiful is more likely to be true. So I'm, I'm, I am profoundly interested in the relationship between beauty and truth and goodness. And I believe that business can be organized around those principles and it will thereby be more profitable and more creative all the way around. <laughs> right. Fourth principle, sfumato, sfumato. So this relates to your early questions about being bullish or bearish. Uh, I call it confusion endurance. <laughs> if you want to get a big breakthrough, you have to go into the unknown. That means you have to give up what you currently think you know. And this is one of the secrets of the most creative people, the ability to embrace the unknown and smile like the Mona Lisa in the face of uncertainty. And it's also critical for a leader because people are looking to you. And when things are, are uncertain, can you instill confidence when you don't even know, you don't know what's going to happen yet either. Uh, uh, but can you be open? Can you be curious? Can you think for yourself? Can you be appreciative of beauty in the midst of uncertain circumstances? That's, to me, a missing link for many leaders and just also a wonderful skill for all of us as, as individual human beings to, to make the most out of the challenging times in our life. Yeah, and we, it's almost like we, we use the term, and I'm sure you've heard it, right, the beginner's mind, like that whole kind of beginner's mindset. But often when I say that, people go, so you want me to forget everything I know? And so I always qualify it now by saying, I actually want you to bring the things, those, those experiences with you, but I want you to allow yourself enough space in being curious to, to acknowledge the fact that you don't always know the answer. And so once you give yourself that space, that beginner's mind, you, you start to, you know, kind of free up some time to, as, as we asked in the bullish bearish, right. To actually innovate. Yes. And, and I love your reference to the beginner's mind because that, that's what we're born with. That's curiosita. So yes, I know this, but what else is available for me here? What haven't I thought of yet? Uh, uh, your Thomas Edison always asked the people in his, uh, uh, in his laboratory, uh, uh, well, what if there's a better way? <laughs> so constant you know, focus on, well, yes, that's wonderful. And what else is there for us to learn? So, because you asked that other question about certainty and, and, and so on, and it is, well, yes, and let's explore further uh, so that we're, we're, we're bringing that curiosita to deeper and deeper levels. We're not afraid of the uncertainty. We embrace it. We smile like Mona Lisa. We wake up at four o'clock in the morning with some aha insight. We write it down in our Da Vinci notebook, and then we have an environment in our workplace that we've cultivated where we're free to share our off-the-wall, wacky, crazy ideas. Uh, and that 
creates more fun, it creates more alignment in the team. But of course, ultimately, we have to translate these wonderful ideas and this beauty, truth, and goodness into practice. So we apply the fifth principle, arte scienza, where we balance our artistic, intuitive inspirations with scientific planning, metrics, and logic and analysis. And this this harmony is one of the keys to high performance, really at all levels and in all kinds of endeavors, is we balance our inspiration, our imagination, and our artistic sharing with our focus on results, with our analysis, with our critique. And and you know, most people and many teams are better at one of those things than the other. <laughs> right, right. And, and part of why people love Leonardo is he's the ultimate role model for the integration of art and science, logic and imagination. But then to actually execute and make it happen, we need energy. That's the sixth principle. Corporalita, balance your body and your mind. So I share with my clients my own just 40 plus years of exploring how to optimize and integrate the energy of mind and body. And my friend and colleague, Professor Jim Clausen, he and I taught a seminar at University of Virginia's Darden Graduate School of Business for many years called Leading Innovation. And the first line we'd always share with the students is the first line of one of Jim's books. And it is this, leadership is about managing energy, first in yourself and then in others. And managing energy is what the sixth principle for thinking like Leonardo is all about. The seventh principle, connezione. Everything connects to everything else. Be a systems thinker, have the big picture, What's your vision? What's your mission? What are your values? What are your strategy? What are your goals? What are your tactics? And then how are you supporting those with the way you recruit and hire people, with the way you train and develop them, with the way you give them incentives and compensation, and with the overall culture that you create? So one of the challenges of leadership is to be able to look at and to consider and to care for and meet more and more needs of different constituents, the people in your in your organization, the clients or customers you serve, the vendors you partner with, the shareholders to whom you for whom you generate tremendous return, the communities in which you live and and the planet on which this all happens. Well it is was that seven? Do we hit seven? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. So um, now we say, right, if, if, which I, I just, I love the whole interconnectedness of each of those. It's kind of like they're building blocks on each other. You, you, I'm making an assumption here, right? You can't sort of pull one out and get really good at it and forget the rest. Thank you. Yes. I, well, I love uh, uh, when people get that. This is a system. Each principle is important, but the order of the principles uh, is not accidental. And and the order of the exercises in the book. I mean, I invite readers in the beginning of the book. I say, if you want to skip around, go ahead and just start wherever you're most drawn and you can do it all non-linearly. But there is a definite progression 
from each principle and from each exercise, and one builds on the other and creates something that's way more than the sum of its parts. And so what, you know, what, I guess, you know, what are the one or two things if, if someone goes, wow, I really like, besides reading the book, obviously, because as you said, in each chapter, you've got sort of exercises and ways to step them through. But if there was, you know, a couple of things you'd say, this, this is what, you know, this is where I suggest you begin when you're yeah. on this journey. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's the simplest, uh, most immediate place to begin. And this is Leonardo talking I'm just uh, being his uh, representative here because he tells his students, have a little notebook, carry it with you wherever you go and write your ideas down. Now, that would be powerful advice just from Leonardo, probably history's greatest genius. But what if I told you that Thomas Edison insisted that all of the people who worked in his laboratory did the same thing and that Marie Curie did the same thing and that so did Murray Gelman? And that so did Darwin, and so did just about every other great genius in human history. So most people get their breakthrough ideas, four o'clock in the morning, uh, driving the car, taking the shower in the bath, out in nature. The difference between geniuses and most people is geniuses write them down. <laughs> right, right. I find I have like my best ideas. And this goes back to, you know, this concept that you were saying, this kind of noise coming from us from all directions when I'm at my most quiet. Yes. Um, so sometimes it's like I'm in the shower and there's, I, I'm always joking, like I need to have a notepad in here <laughs> because it's no one's bothering me. You know, I'm, besides you're wasting water if you start thinking in the shower. So we got to figure out how to take shorter showers while still thinking, but uh, <laughs> driving, flying is really good time for me. You know, uh, anything like that and capturing it. And so I actually text message myself, I, I things like that. Right. And well, but, funny said, I do the same thing now because I'm usually writing a new book. And when I can, I text it to myself and then I just put it right into the manuscript that I'm working on. So I do the same thing. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not writing a second one yet. I feel like my only child is, is she's good right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but maybe soon, but not right now. But uh my problem has been that I used to handwrite my notes and I kept one book and the book I would I actually ordered the books over about 10 years. Like I just had these, you know, books that like if I was sitting in meetings or an executive meeting or mm -hmm. when I was working at Gartner and I was consulting, you know, you get these great ideas or someone says something and you want to capture it and I have them all and then I realized I never went back to them. And so when I was writing my book, I was like, you know what I should do is just go grab that stack of books and it'll inspire me to remember things I thought were really good. And it, and it did. But really digitizing that, I think, is something I have to figure out, right? Because just writing down the notes, I mean, I think that helps you remember things because writing is such so much easier. But you then you have to be able and be willing to go back and say, okay, what was that? You know, what was that lesson? Or even like this podcast as an example, you know, you're listening to it, you're probably driving or you're on the treadmill or you're, you know, you're doing something and you may not have paper and then you go, oh, I want to go back to that. What was that? I want to listen to it again. Uh, it was really good. And so finding a way to capture those moments of, of uh, peace where yes. you can really get, take advantage of the stillness and, and, and really um, percolate on things like this, right? Well, there's two things that are happening, and this is for most people. Uh, when you're by yourself, when you're quiet, 
your brain shifts from the more active beta state that it's probably in at work to the slower alpha or even theta state if you're resting in bed or in the bath, which is associated with breakthrough ideas. The other thing is most people do get their best ideas when they're by themselves because there's no fear of embarrassment and we feel freer. And so then, yes, uh, I love what you shared because it's it's indicative of, of an important thing for everyone to understand is find your own best way to do this. Find the way that works for you. The universal wisdom is record your ideas and be sensitive to where you are when you get your best ideas. And you may need to spend more time there. If it's not the shower, take a walk in the park, uh, meditate, uh, spend, uh, have a notebook next to your, to your bed if you get your best ideas uh, when you're waking up in the early morning. And then the other thing to, to come back to your, your question about what are some real practical takeaways for people from thinking like Leonardo, another one is to learn mind mapping. I mean, I do teach it in the book, but it's, it's uh, ubiquitous these days. I worked for many years with Tony Bizan, the originator of mind mapping. Tony was inspired to create mind mapping by his study of the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci and Thomas Edison. And a mind map is a way of expressing your ideas in pictures and images along with keywords. It's more organic. It's nonlinear. It integrates art and science. It's a practical methodology for really thinking more like Leonardo da Vinci. Well, this has just been fantastic. Like I could just keep going. Like we didn't even get to the, you know, this the the art of connection because this was this was great. But you know, I, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but and you can't really give justice to the art of connection. But I, I'm just going to pivot quickly um, it, because I think through all this that I I am a firm believer that sort of business and success and personal growth and all that is a team sport. And so, you know, ultimately the art of connection has a foundation in building these relationships to help you be more successful. So, you know, with that, what, what would you, you know, uh, if you had to give your, you know, elevator pitch on, on such a fantastic book, I, I don't, I know that's difficult, but no, it's, it's great. All right. Go for you it. Because you're so right. Uh, years of writing about Da Vinci and Edison and how to be more creative Working with clients in the real world, I, I discovered that you, you, it's easy to generate the creative idea. It's hard to get buy-in. It's hard to get that collaboration. It's hard to get people to align around a big change or transformation. So the motto of the book, The Art of Connection, and a great takeaway that's potentially life-changing, uh, I put it in Latin so people really will get that it's important, and it is conjungere ad salvendum, which means connect before solving. So rather than going into the transaction, rather than focusing on the results and the performance, always focus first on the human beings with whom you are interacting. Connect with those humans. Look for the soulfulness within that person. This doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. You don't have to get into a hot tub. It can happen in a nanosecond, really. But be fully present to their humanness. A magical thing happens when you do that. First of all, your own humanness is enlivened. 
Second of all, you are now on the path to rapport, to connection. And when people are in rapport, when they're connect, connected, solutions find you. Well, that's just fantastic. I, I might have to have you come back to keep talking about that one. So <laughs> now I feel like I've cheated the listeners. I apologize. You know, don't send me notes. I'm, I'm aware that we just started getting good and, and now, now we got to go. But you know, Michael, this has just been fantastic. And, and I just, you know, I'm so thrilled that I got exposed to your work and your passion around everything that you've been doing for the last 40 years. Uh, I just think it's fantastic. So I just want to personally thank you for, for spending this time and sharing your wisdom with our listeners here at what's at what's next. But before I let you go, if you could have dinner with anybody alive or deceased, who would it be? Uh, well, you know, obviously Leonardo. I was going to say that has to be yeah, top of your list. That simple. was that was a softball too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a pretty easy one. Would that be the only person you think? You think just the oh, two I, of you I, could I, keep it going? Well, you. Know, I'll tell. So I'll, I'll tell you. I'd have a bunch of other people. Uh, I'd have Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Uh, because I am a Seinfeldian, uh, I do feel that he's the modern Shakespeare. Uh, he he might blush if I said that or just laugh it off, but uh, so many life lessons are in that show, and I, I humor is one of my highest values. When before I go to sleep at night, I actually I watch uh, videos of people who I probably would want to have dinner with, and they're either spiritual masters, uh, geniuses uh, of one sort or another, or comedians. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael. And so how can people keep in touch with all of your fantastic work? Thanks for asking. I'll give you two websites. Uh, if people want to learn more about how to think like Leonardo, the art of connection, all my books and my speaking work and my seminars, they can go to michaelgelb.com. That's G-E-L-B. And if people are interested in my work as an executive leadership coach, I'd ask them to please go to healingleader.com. That's healingleader.com. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today on the What's Next podcast. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm going to have you at that dinner too. Well, I better be invited. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. What a great conversation. I could have kept talking to Michael. I feel like I completely shortchanged you on not spending enough time on the art of connection, but it just means go out and get the book. I loved his concepts around keeping multiple balls in the air and how we can solve those problems really, really quickly. That thinking about confidence is the ability to embrace failure. And the last one is just maintaining the curiosity of a child with the focus of a grown up. I thought that was just a really great quote, which I'm going to use again and again. So I hope you enjoyed the latest of What's Next podcast with Michael Gelb. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow me online, leave some feedback. I always enjoy hearing from you. Once again, thank you for spending some time with me today on the What's Next podcast. <laughs>